Hi, it's Kristen. You're listening to Rational in Portland. All right, all right. This is the episode everybody's been waiting for, the ballot episode. Rational and Portland's picks for our ballot in Multnomah County, Portland, Oregon. We've got city council races. We've got Multnomah County chair race, which, as you all know, is incredibly important. And you know, and a lot of people don't, and a lot of people still haven't voted, so you all have to get out there Tell your neighbors, tell your friends about that county chair vote. I know that Renee and Joanne's race is getting a lot of traction in the news, but we have got to spread the word about this Multnomah County chair position. And if you need any, if anybody needs any convincing, please send them the Sharon Myron episode of this podcast, and I'll link to that. I think she just does a great job. Even even if even if people who listen to her don't care for her, she does a great job of explaining why the chair is so important. So just like our primary election episodes, we have Amanda in the studio, who is a high-profile philanthropist and professional in the city of Portland. And we also have Jennifer, our favorite guest, who um, we haven't heard from for a while, but she's here, co-founder of um, one of the many co-founders of the... Portland party, but I think she, as as Vicky said, Jennifer is really one of the driving forces behind the Portland party. If you or anybody you know um, needs help or more explanation about our candidates, Jennifer, they can go to Portland Party website, right? Yes, portlandparty.org. We have updated information. You can sign up for events that are happening, endorsements. Um, you can ask us questions, all of that good stuff. Okay, Amanda, you had, um, when we were talking offline about this episode, you had some good ideas about some talking points that we probably need to do an intro about. And of course, we've had a lot of listener questions. We're, don't worry, we're going to get to all your questions. And I know you've been waiting a while for this. So um, Amanda, I'm going to hand it off to you to kind of do a little overview of our framework here. So we decided that it doesn't make a lot of sense to make recommendations about the federal elections because that really gets into a whole different body of, of thinking. There's a lot to cover. And what seems to be most pressing in this state is really the state and local elections. Um, you know, people can make their own decisions. There's some really crappy choices out there in some of these elections, like the um, uh Dreamer, that one, and the Jamie McLeod Skinner, like that's a horrible choice uh, on both sides um, and, a, and a good compelling argument, I think, against close primaries. But let's leave that for another day and let people make their, their own decisions. Um, what we had talked about is that we need to make better choices for Oregon. And I think there has never been, literally, there's never been a more consequential election. Um, the Oregon state and local issues are largely 
a product of single party rule. Let's let's remember that the Democrats have occupied the governor's mansion, such as this, for 40 years. Um, and and they have um, for quite a while now had a stranglehold on the entire legislature. So right now, just on a party line vote, the Democrats can pass whatever they want. And government tends to work better and be more functional when there's some ideological balance. So we're a very blue state, but a good example of our sort of mirror image is Oklahoma, which is screwed up in slightly different ways, but in a lot of the same ways. That That is a state that is as red as we are blue. And when we get some kind of balance, um, you get more compromise, you get more deliberation in uh, the entire policymaking process, and you get people giving on issues and having to listen to the other side. And, you know, whether um, you're talking about an issue of abortion, taxes, education, environment, guns, most Americans and even most Oregonians are typically somewhere in the middle. They're not out on the fringes of either side. Um, and then the uh, if you want to get those kinds of policies, then you've got to have some sort of move to the middle. And so what we, what we want to talk about today is where this city is going in each of these specific elections and how you get to the most pragmatic choice, which is really going to be a more moderated voice than what we've had in the past. Can I add something to that? Yeah, please. Just just to reiterate everything that Amanda said, but I also feel strongly that this is really the only chance we are going to get for years to come to get to that place in the middle. Um, I I don't I don't think in four years or eight years or twenty years we're going to have an opportunity like we have now, which is to um, put the far left on notice that we're not going to allow this to continue and to elect uh, people that do not put ideology before uh, the good of the public, of their constituents. So I just wanted to add how critical this election is. Can I go through some of these stats that we pulled? The rate of homelessness in our country, and I, again, I think our statistics are underrated, is fifth worst among the 50 states. And that's on, I think, the very modest and incomplete stats that we have. Rate of addiction in Oregon, we are second out of the 50 states. The homicide rate, seventh out of the 50 states. We've had the second highest increase in the country in terms of homicides. The number of law enforcement employees for every 100,000 people we are 49th out of 50 states. The quality of our public schools is 46 out of 50 under one measure, that's the American Legislative Exchange Council, and 35th out of 50 under U.S. News and World Report. This is, again, when we're paying some of the highest rates per student in the country. We rank fifth for reading losses due to closed schools, and we rank eighth for math losses due to closed schools. So we're, we're getting a Mississippi quality education and we're paying about three times as much. It's just absurd. We have the second lowest high school graduation rate in the country. The quality of our natural environment, when you look at air and water quality and pollution is 42nd out of 50. And in terms of where Oregon falls, in terms of being um, friendly to business, and remember business drives employment, which drives quality of life, we're 35th out of, of 50. So. Tina has been in a key legislative position of power. She's been the state's equivalent of Nancy Pelosi 
for seven years. Uh, she's deeply responsible for Oregon sinking to the bottom on almost every measure. She's had the power to lead the way with this legislative supermajority, which means she could have passed any legislation she wanted to address these things, but instead she spends her time catering to unions and burdening small businesses. And I think what we're talking about is accountability, and I think this means that she needs to be accountable for where we are. She spent seven years, the way our system works, remember she in her ads is really blaming Kate Brown, but Kate Brown doesn't have legislative power. The legislative power resides in the legislature where she has been a primary leader. If you like these statistics, if you think Oregon is headed in the right direction, then I would encourage you to vote for Tina because she will bring you more of the same. But if you feel like we are on the wrong path, and I think most people just looking around the state and the city um, can see that, uh, then, then I think you need to vote for change. I agree uh, completely. And I, I, I want to talk about the education piece for a minute. And I want to appeal to parents because I know there are a lot of moms listening right there right now who are thinking, I know she's responsible. I know what they did to my kids, but I cannot stomach uh, voting for someone else for other reasons. No one is more responsible for how bad the Oregon education system is than Kotec. No one. And if you don't believe or if you haven't realized that the unions own her, including the teachers' unions, you need to do some research because it's the truth. I mean, ask yourself, were this liberal mecca, we believe in kids and seniors and all of this, what, and we spend more money on, on education than almost anybody. So why, why do you think our schools are so bad? I mean, who has not either pulled their kids out of public education or wish they could? And I'm sorry for all of you who are in the middle income-wise who can't afford to put your kids in private school but want to. It's really a travesty. Um, so in addition to voting to change course, you're also voting to send a message to the Cotex of Oregon, to everyone in the legislature, that we're, we're, not, we're paying attention now. We're not going to allow you to maintain this supermajority and run our state into the ground. And sometimes you have to make ideological sacrifices for the bigger picture. And that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, and let's, can we just get to abortion? Because let's it, do I've it. seen like 400 ads about how abortion is on the ballot. If you Google abortion rights maps nationwide or anything equivalent to that, what you will see is that Oregon is the most protective of abortion in the country. All of us ladies in this room are supporters of choice. We have all given, I just gave money the other day for opening this clinic by the Idaho border um, for, through Planned Parenthood. Abortion is not under attack in Oregon and you are being lied to. It is a national talking point that they will get out and motivate Democrats. So I know a lot of people, because they're not lawyers, don't really understand what happened. So Roe versus Wade was a, was a decision passed at the U.S. Supreme Court level that set the, the floor, but not the ceiling, on the rights that people had 
ostensibly via the Constitution to get an abortion. And when the court overturned Roe versus Wade, they didn't in any way say you can't get an abortion. They simply said the Supreme Court should not have decided this issue in the first instance. This is an important and complicated issue, and it should go back to the states uh, to be decided there. So every state's rules that are in effect now apply. Oregon is the only state in the country that has no restrictions on abortion. None. If you can find a doctor to do it, you can abort an eight-month-old fetus. There are no parental consent rules. Oh, you can abort a nine-month-old you fetus. You can abort a nine-month-old fetus. You can have at it. And, and, there is, and there's no move afoot in Oregon. The one thing that, the, that I think every politician is clear on in Oregon, including uh, Drazen, is that everybody in Oregon wants the laws to stay as they are. It's the least religious um, country, uh, state in the country. Abortion is going nowhere. There's no move on, on this front. And so um, when they say abortion's on the ballot, they are lying to you. Abortion's not on the ballot. There's no legislation pending. And another thing to be aware of is that in Kansas a few months ago had a referendum and, and some Republicans in Kansas had come up with this idea that we're going to ban abortion at our state level. And, and under the polling, they would have thought that that was a good idea. But women and independents and even Republican women really rose up against that and voted it down. And so what the GOP take away from that, and this has been abundantly clear because you see all these national level candidates stripping their websites of any mention of anti-abortion, including like Blake Masters is the best example of that in Phoenix and uh, Arizona, running for the Senate seat in Arizona. There's no move here. That is a trick. The idea is that that Oregonians will be dumb enough to buy it. And that's why you even see it like with the um, the Bowley commissioner race. They're saying that the Bureau of Labor and Industries commissioner is the only candidate who's pro-choice. <laughs> no one goes to the Bureau of Labor and Industries to get an abortion. Get an abortion. Well, and, and to your point, Amanda, I have received, well, including from one of our mutual friends who's a very well-educated person, who's an MD, frankly. Uh, questions about whether Renee Gonzalez is pro-choice. Now he is. Does that matter? Do no. we go to city council to get our abortions? No. And <laughs> I mean, dear God, no. the idea of Dan Ryan performing an abortion or okaying it is... Right. And, and just I Just wrap your head around that for a minute before you ask anybody if Renee is pro-choice. Who gives a shit? It's a trick. Yeah, and for anybody who is is digging, holding on to what she said, that she would um, veto paying... You're talking about Christine. Drazen, uh, paying for out-of-state uh, women to, to get abortions. I agree with that. That's something for nonprofits. That's what Planned Parenthood is doing right well, Jennifer, now. that's... And not, we did an episode about how that was going to be our it's, idea. I don't... That's <laughs> just, that just... So so should we also pay for out-of-state kids to come and go to college here? I mean, that's absurdity. I, you know, and I'm sorry, there are all kinds of nonprofits that will do this, but we can't afford it. We've literally got people dying in the streets here. This needs to go way down on our list of priorities. Yes. Yeah, I also think it's important that we point out how 
not just weird Oregon is in the country, but how weird Oregon is in the world. As far as I know, there may be a couple other uh, little countries or something somewhere, uh, maybe a stand or I don't know, that allows abortion at, you know, a week before you actually push the baby out. Now, that would be Oregon. Who else does that? I can't think of anybody, but I do want to be clear because I've also received a lot of questions about why can't we be more like Europe? I want to be clear with you all, okay? Poland, and Europe is very Catholic. I know nobody around here wants to admit that. It is. Spain is Catholic. French is Catholic. Poland is Catholic. Poland bans abortion under most circumstances, although women can avail themselves of free movement to travel to another country. Now, Sweden, one of our favorite places, right? We love Sweden. Sweden's liberal. Sweden In Sweden, women have full equality. Well, you know what? Abortion is available on demand up until the 18th week. Yeah, because it's a complicated issue. And if you look at the case that overturned Roe, it was a law that was on appeal from Mississippi that allowed abortion up to 15 weeks. Bear in mind that 90% of abortions in this country are performed prior to 13 weeks, 13 weeks and prior. So it's just weird. It's not your patriotic duty to go get an abortion. I don't understand what's going on. There's some weird psychological thing going on. It It's as if we've forgotten that contraception exists. And, you know, when women get abortions, these are painful, horrible moments where the system has failed them, where contraceptive efforts and availability have failed them. So let's stop acting like this is the height of female empowerment to get an abortion, and particularly to get an abortion late in the game. And there is never, ever, ever going to be a law in Oregon, and I would stake my life on it, that a woman whose health is threatened or who is carrying a fetus that is in severe jeopardy or is going to face pain as a, you know, if there's a live birth, where that will not be fully legal. It's just, you're just being tricked like you're some dumbass. That's why they're running these ads, because they think you're a dumbass who's going to set aside all those statistics that we looked at and focus solely on abortion. And there are races where I have single issue voted on abortion because I felt like it, it actually was important to that race. I think we all have at this yeah. table, and, and mostly there's, there's, for presidents. Right. And there is just no state or local imperative to do that here. So as a, as a mature person casting a ballot, which is a really important obligation of citizenship, don't get fooled by these idiots. You're, you know better. Don't let Kotec make you feel like a dumbass. That is the thesis here today. That's what she's trying to do. Um, I agree with everything that you've said and then some. And I also want to tell the listeners that you are hearing from three women who all give generously to Planned Parenthood, who are all pro-choice, uh, who have all would all happily pay for the abortion. To abortion. Yes, we would. We right. would pay for someone's abortion if they needed it. We would take them to get an abortion. We are pro-choice all the way. This is a red herring. Abortion is not on the ballot. Don't let Kotech do this. Don't. And and also ask yourself if the only argument you keep hearing her make right. is abortion. Right. Isn't that concerning to you? That's that's 
this all of her flyers. All of right. her flyers, all they do is the big, you know, red with the abortion and the no plan about about fixing um, Oregon. None. So should we say what we're recommending? Well, can, is it all right if I address a listener? So there was a listener follow-up. We, Jennifer and I did a bit on this previously. The listener follow-up was... Okay, yes, there's contraception, but in rural towns in Oklahoma, there may not be contraception. Okay, guess what? Tina Kotek is not appointing Supreme Court justices. No. Tina Kotek is not deciding U.S. federal law. Tina Kotek is looking to be the governor of Oregon where we have no restrictions and where you can not only buy a condom on any street, I bet you could walk five minutes from here and not only grab a fentanyl pill, but a handful of condoms. And and the other thing to bear in mind is the Oregon Health Plan is I think one of a handful of publicly funded state medical programs for lower income It's people one of the few things we do that well. funds abortion. It funds abortion. There is no one who is opposing that. And that includes people who are not documented, I'd like to add. That's important. I mean, so... So so I guess the argument is, okay, well, what if Christine rolls all that? Okay, I, so, I, and so I did see a question I, about that. She's going to get rid of universal health care. I, I met Christine Drazen, I swear to God, it had to have been a year ago. And a friend of... I think a, it was. A friend of a friend had was having a fundraiser for her. I'd literally never heard of her. And so we went to this event just to support these people we knew. And um, so it was a group that was all conservatives, all Republicans. And, you know, I'm... Um, I've never, I've never voted for a Republican presidential candidate. So, so I mean, I went Same. to... There I don't with, think any of us have. Yeah, no, I don't think we have. So... We went to this, and in the this cloistered environment of just Republicans and conservatives in Oregon, guess what she said about abortion? Nothing. Not a goddamn thing. Not a goddamn thing. She was talking about homelessness, crime, mismanagement of our tax dollars. She didn't say a word about it. And that tells me that this group of, you know, even more right-wing Oregonians that this is just not at the top of their list. So so let go of it, people. I mean, the only thing she has made clear, she will support Oregon law. Oregon law is one of the only states in the country where you have a statutorily protected right to abortion. It's not just a judicial sort of a deal like, like Roe versus Wade was. Um, you have a statutorily protected right. And I mean, it's bizarre to me that this has worked its way to the very top of importance for for Oregonians, but no one no one is seeking to challenge that. I think we should also point out that I, I want to take a minute and I want everybody to understand what Jen, what uh, Amanda just said, which is a a Republican running in the hottest governor's race in the United States won't contest the idea that you can abort your kid at nine months. Stop Now stop for, stop and pause for a minute there. You ever, you ever heard of a Republican like that? I haven't. I haven't. She, she's a moderate Republican, and she's not stupid. She understands the state she lives in. She's married to a successful attorney who works downtown in Portland. It, you know, she would be a very... I'd be leading the revolt if she tried to do would. a bait and switch. The three of us 
would be at the head of the movement to recall her in five seconds. Please, people, do not let Kotek win with this Michigas. It is ridiculous. I, I do think we should speak to the idea that um, she ha- not only does she have no plans to roll back what is the most lenient uh, protection for women in regards to abortion, not only does she have no plans to do that, um, to the extent she was interested in it, I think we should talk about the way Oregon law works and whether the governor right. can just okay. write a bill and get rid of abortion. Right. For those of you who missed out on sixth grade civics, um, she is not a monarch. The governor is not a monarch. They do not have control over what happens. They either sign or veto legislation that comes from the legislature. Currently, we have a Democratic supermajority. Again, that means that the Democrats can pass whatever law they want on a party-line Democratic vote. So the idea that she gets to just make a declaration that um, abortion is illegal, that is a fanciful notion. That is not going to happen. And even if there is some change in the Oregon legislature so that it's not a supermajority, it is not going to be the case that there's going to be numbers of people, especially because I haven't seen a goddamn person in that entire, you know, uh, biblical creation of the voters pamphlet, which is like, you know. It's very daunting. It is. Nobody in there is talking about how they love, love prohibitions on abortion. Nobody is running on that issue in the entire state, as best I can tell. So can we just let go of it? Yeah. It's like a fever dream Please. in this state. Like, stop already and stop being hostage to national issues when we have our own fish to fry in this state that have to do with things like crime, law and order, homelessness, addiction, education, making sure that we can attract some business at some point in the future because we actually have potential laborers and workers who can read and write, which at this point is a is up for grabs. And I, I, I liked, Amanda, when you talked about Kansas. I mean, I think Kansas was a wake-up call to all the Republicans. Look, everybody needs to understand that the Democrats have dominated the legislature in Oregon since 06, except in 2010 when they were tied in the House, okay? And I just don't see that changing, especially if Drazen's elected. Jesus Christ, I see a pendulum swing over to the other side, frankly. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, all the far- you think Maxine Dexter's left. Wait till you see who's going to, you know, crawl out of who knows what neighborhood and, and run for something that makes Joanne Hardesty look like Mitch McConnell. And we know that you all are busy and you all are getting pressured by your neighbors or your family members and that not everyone has time to dig deep and research these complex issues. Um, But I assure you that everything that we're saying is the truth. Well, no, we're link. We're going to link to everything. And in the that show if notes. you, I mean, if you, if you, if you vote for Kotek because of this issue, it, it, I, it is just heartbreaking to me. I, 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 I don't know how else to take it. I just want to assure you that reproductive rights are going to remain 100% available and safe in Oregon in perpetuity. And so should we, I mean, I, I don't know that we are all voting for the same person. Perhaps we are. I think what's coming out of this discussion is anyone but Tina Kotek. 
Yes. And I'm voting for Drazen because I think she has a a reasonable chance to win. I think that I've now watched the debates. I think she has a um, a gravitas and a seriousness and an embracing and unifying spirit where she wants to represent all Oregonians. I think she has a personal um, aversion to abortion, which I'm happy to respect, which she says is a faith-based reason, but I don't get any impression she's any sort of a um, uh, zealot on that front. And I think that she has exactly that historical, very liberal Republican Oregon spirit of um, being Republican for all the right reasons, being fiscally more conservative, being socially liberal. And I I think she would be a way better governor than we're going to get out of Tina. I think Betsy would be an extraordinary governor, but what I'm looking at in terms of the polling suggests that she is not a viable candidate at this point. I'd rather someone vote for Betsy, and I hope that she will have a significant role in, in the future of our state, but I think that that um, Drazen can actually pull this off if people get behind her and vote. What about the argument that we shouldn't pay attention to polling in regard to who we think is going to win because of 2016? And, you know, of course, the three of us were pretty... I, th- I think shocked would be an understatement to say that Trump won the presidency that year, despite all the polling. I think this is a probably a more, like, a simpler look at the data. I mean, I, and I, you all know, I love, I love Betsy. I just want to say one thing first before I forget. Yeah. I get that for optics, she doesn't define herself this way. But when you think about it, Drazen is the example of being pro-choice. Pro-choice is, I wouldn't have an abortion. I don't believe in abortion, but I'm not going to tell another woman what to do. And I'm not going to interfere with the law. And actually it's more extreme than that. I'm not only not going to tell another woman what to do, if she wants to abort her baby at nine months, she should go for it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I have can't you tell ever you. ever heard of that I happening? not only don't know a single Republican who would say that, I don't know a lot of Democrats who would say that. Yes. I mean, that's, that is literally what she's saying. She won't touch the law. The law has no restrictions. Please listen to this. And that's brave to say to Republican constituents. Oh, I can't imagine. I promise you. So in this climate, I and I think she's an honest, authentic person. She could have, she could have come into this from the beginning, and she could have lied to win. hundred percent. And she 100%. didn't. You know, she could right. Have. She could have said, "I'm totally pro-choice." Yeah. She she could have done a Barack Obama with the gay marriage thing. I've rethought everything. Mm-hmm. My husband's been, you know, my spouse has been thought this way politically for a while, and I finally come to see the light. Yep, yep. So I always give extra points for uh, candidates who I think have integrity and character and are honest, and I don't feel that way about Kotek uh, at all. Uh, Amanda, we have another listener question, which is, is a vote, I, I the, the listeners are saying, I need, I, I feel compelled to vote for Betsy. I I could vote for Drazen. I just feel compelled to vote for Betsy. It, can you give me re- any reassurance at all that a vote for Betsy is not a vote for Kotek, or can you convince me that a vote for Drazen is really the right thing to do in this instance if the polls are that compelling? I mean, it really depends what you want to do with your vote. What I want to do with my vote is anything to keep Tina Kotek out of office because I think she is going to 
I think I have to move from the goddamn state, move over to Vancouver. We are so on the wrong path. And that's, I've known Amanda for 20-some years, and to, for her to say she's going to move to Vancouver, right? It's every alarm bell in my brain is ringing. I feel like the sprinkler system above Jennifer's head is going to start. <laughs> I vote minute. for Camus instead of Vancouver. I think <laughs> oh, Camus no, is adorable. Even Camus, it's got a paper mill. I just don't see Amanda But I there. have real concerns about Tina. She's smarter than Kate Brown she's much by smarter. a long shot. She is a lot more ideological. And I think and she's, she's cute. Just, yeah. She's cute. Kate Brown is not cute. No, and she is going to be out there with her bully pulpit telling us that what we see on the streets is a lie and that actually things like drug decriminalization that have so obviously destroyed lives and keep on destroying them are what is best for us. And, and, and like, stop it. I think at some point, Nothing is perfect, right? Like your relationship with the government is kind of like your marriage. There are going to be compromises there. But we've got to make a better choice here. And putting in a really smart, really bullying, really um, strategic Kate Brown, if you want to see this state go to hell in a handbasket, I think vote in a way that paves a path for Tina to get into office. It, it just is so misguided. And is is um, Christine perfect? I don't think she is. I mean, do I hold some differences of opinion? Of course I do. But she's pretty good. And my no, God, she is. And I was very impressed with I've her seen. in the debate. So one, the other interesting thing, when I, when I saw her a year ago, before anyone knew she was on the map at all, she was saying that what she wanted to be was modeled after Larry Hogan, who's the governor of Maryland. Maryland is a bright blue state with a Republican governor who has been enormously successful and pragmatic and has really unified and led that state. They all seem to love him. Everyone loves him. stood up to Trump. Stood up to Trump yeah, on a number uh, of times. He has been a vocal critic of, of Trump on well, I all be the clear. Sunday mornings. Drazen stood up to Trump. Mm-hmm. Yes. Drazen has said... Joe Biden is our president. She's been consistent in that. She has been consistent that there is no stop the steal. The election was valid. In fact, she's also been consistent in condemning the January 6th riots. 100%. And if you are a fan of these moderates, of the Liz Cheney's of the world, then then Christine Drazen should be somebody who you feel good about and not only are willing to hold your vote for, it's not, I mean, to, willing to vote for, it's not a hold your nose vote. It's a vote that you can have some pride in, that you are saying no to the extremist part of the Democratic Party and voting for, you know, a centrist. And for those of you whose heart is with Betsy, I want to be Betsy. clear that I, you're I think not everybody wasting, at this table loves not, Betsy. Yes, we I all want to be clear on that. You're, and you're not wasting a vote because the more people at the end of the day that the, the, the polling shows voted for her, because everyone all over the country is talking about how exceptional it is that an independent is getting even the percentage of votes that she's getting, it is sending a message to the supermajority uh, Democratic legislature in Oregon that people are no longer going to allow them to do what they're doing. And so it is not a wasted vote. If you're if you cannot for ideological reasons vote for Drazen, but you know that Kotek is a nightmare, vote for Betsy, yes. please. Yes. Okay. I have another question that I'm gonna to field to Amanda because I I know Amanda's voting for Drazen. So 
Amanda, a listener, has asked, I want I I feel a need to vote for Betsy, but I feel a little guilty. Is voting for Betsy really not the vote I should cast if I need to get rid of Tina Kotek? I think it can come down to a very limited handful of votes. And so if you really I I I, I would, you know, be delighted to see someone voting for Betsy over Tina. But I think that the, if it comes down to sort of the short strokes here, I think that a vote for uh, Drazen is going to be really important. Yeah. Okay, so we move on to what next? So I think next, Portland City Council. I watched the, I think, I can't remember if it was the City Club. It was one of the many debates between those two. And I was shocked and appalled when she said, my Republican opponent to referencing Renee Gonzalez, which she knows, she knows full flipping well that he does not identify as a Republican. And her willingness to engage in such open dishonesty publicly just makes me want to vomit. I, I, I will not vote for liars. I This is maybe where I deviate from y'all. In terms of representation mattering, I guess so. I'm voting for people who are going to be representative of me. And maybe that is a white man. Maybe that is a black man. Maybe that is a Jewish woman. Maybe that is a black woman. I'm not voting for these characteristics. But she's really willing to trade on deeply dishonest information in order to, again, this is like the abortion bullshit. Stop trying to trick people. Stop trying to use a label with someone that it, you know is false. I just, I think her willingness to trade on the race issue and play on the um, the guilt, that you know, the, 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 the really earnest guilt of white Oregonians, it is sad and pathetic to me. It's weird. It's weird? It's very weird. And it's just... I, it's, what has she done? Yeah. She's def- she's she's championed the defund the police movement. She's championed all these things that have had a devastating effect on black communities in Portland. And why doesn't she stand up for her own shitty record instead of trying to obscure it? I, I that woman, I, I think the most important thing is that Renee has a great um uh podcast interview with Kristen that is deeper and, and more insightful than anything you're going to see on these much shorter soundbite interviews with the uh, with our um, mainstream press here. Go back and listen to it. Spend an hour with Renee and see what you think. My, my girlfriend, shout out to Chanel, uh, one of my black girlfriends, but she describes it as this fetish that, that white people fetishize yes. her and the black community. And I'm sorry, it's weird. It's just weird. I don't get it. I think we should also point out that that recently, I think what is really telling is that the press has started going after Joanne's campaign for calling Renee a Republican. And in fact, they have they have begged, they have asked for any evidence whatsoever that she has. And they've they're treating her like Trump at this point. That's telling. I mean, th- there was a reporter that just said, What evidence do you have? And she said, she she pointed to some vendors that he uses. And they pointed out to her that they had done some digging, some pretty pretty deep digging on him, 
and that he was, in fact, a Democrat, and that they couldn't find a single shred of evidence that he had any Republican leaning whatsoever. And her response was, if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, it's a duck. If you are at all reviled by Trump in the way that I am, that statement and the way she's treating this campaign should make your stomach turn. This is all right out of the Trump playbook. Yes. It's lies repeated over yes. and over and over again. And people believe them. This man was the only one who was invited to meet President Biden. She was not at this last event. He did not pay for access. How did he get access? Unions endorse him, labor unions that do not endorse her. Most importantly being her fire bureau. I would say that's one of the most important bureaus in the city. I just did a very revealing interview that everyone should download. It would be the episode before this one with the firefighters union president and vice president who have been trying to get her to sit down and listen to their concerns and to the fact that they're responding to 50% of fires, which are homeless fires, to the fact that they're understaffed. They don't have training. Her pet project, Portland Street Response, I was told by Maria Fuge, who is the vice president of the Firefighters Union, please download, download that episode. You will hear her say it herself. 70 people, the training budget for 70 people in Joanne's pet project, Portland Street Response, they have a bigger budget than the training for 700 Portland firefighters. She, she illustrates why um, activists are bad politicians. Because when you run for a race as an activist, you put your agenda and your ideology before your job, which is to serve us, your bosses, the constituents. And that's exactly what she does. She ignores all polling. She doesn't care that 89% of Portlanders are dissatisfied with how the city council is operating. She doesn't care that we're at a record high with homicides. She has never uh, talked about the staggering and heartbreaking number of young black men who are being murdered in this town because it conflicts with her ideology. She's not a grown-up. And, and, and I, want, I want people smarter than me to be, to be on the city council. You know, another thing that's fascinating to me is seeing how, so in Portland, they can't do shit, right? They can't stop homicide. They can't do anything. The one thing they can <laughs> freaking do is figure out if Renee Gonzalez is driving faster than the goddamn speed limit, right? Like <laughs> any infraction, any infraction by Renee Gonzalez, not a, not a crime, suddenly, an infraction. Suddenly they are on it, and, and they're Johnny and on a, the spot. And man. a great example was this whole writing him up to great fanfare on the you know the front page of the Oregonian that he was leasing space at below market rates, which just the other day, an administrative law judge reversed that determination. It's, I think it's important to look at the fact that the Portland government is so invested in this stranglehold of power and making sure that these people who these public employee unions are giving a shit ton of money to are staying in power. And what is that about? That tells me that's not about the public interest. That's about limited uh, interests of people who are not me. It, it, it's shocking. Isn't it shocking? It's shocking that the woman who's the head of the small donor election program 
did not take action against A.J. McCreary, who paid her son $3,000, her 15-year-old son, $3,000 of, um, of small donor donations, of our donations, took no action, but then did this ridiculously excessive fine thing and took the extreme measure of, of freezing that money until the administrative law judge ruled so that Renee's campaign could not spend it on the campaign. She is in bed, in my opinion, with uh, Candace Avalos, with the Charter Commission people. They all are doing some really scary things, uh, just like the, the person who's running the Portland City of Portland official Twitter account is sending out pro-charter tweets, which is it's not allowed. It's it's a violation of state law. Well, can law. you talk about that for a minute? Because I've had a lot of questions about how, in fact, that would be a violation. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 there's an Oregon statute that I should have saved. I pulled up, and now I've got to find it. But you're saying, as a lawyer, you've looked at the Oregon statute, and this Oregon statute says that the city government cannot do what it's doing in regard to its propaganda campaign for yes on charter. Right. And I found a, a administrative memo from the city, from the city's HR team to all city employees telling them that they cannot use city property, i.e. the official city of Portland Twitter account to promote a ballot or an initiative or a candidate. And that's exactly what's happening right now on Twitter is whoever is running this knows that no one's going to do anything, or by the time they do, the election's going to be over, and no one is taking action. I, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, lots of people have filed complaints. I filed a complaint, but it's... it's I think the final ears. issue around um, Hardesty versus Renee Gonzalez, who we are supporting without reservation, is the turnarounds in the in the media endorsements. I am I yeah. am not going to get the details of that right. Kristen, do you know the details of uh, who I can't remember if it's the Tribune well, or Willamette Week changed course. They endorsed it. they endorsed Hardesty in the primary and they changed and now they're in both I mean, I think that kind of tells you all you need to know. Of course, the Oregonian endorsed Renee, but the idea that Willamette Week went from Hardesty to Renee I just think anybody it's who is left of center who's listening to this, I, I I mean, a lot of 20-year-olds I know use the Willamette Week voter guide as a way to fill out their ballot. And it's one of the most influential, because it is so far left, and Portland is so far left, it is one of the most influential publications. It's just a little weekly, but it's one of the most, and, and it's got an incredible investigative reporter, Nigel Jacquez, but it's one of the most influential publications, particularly in regard to elections in the city of Portland. And the idea that they endorsed Renee Gonzalez, I just think kind of says it all. Now, one thing Can that you I'm... link to those Yes, and we will link please? to all of the endorsements in our show notes, of course. So one question I got, um, Amanda, from a listener was, why should I vote for Renee, even if I believe that he's a Democrat? Because he aligned with... People that I despise in regard to the school opening issue, and that would include Trump and Trumpian type people in the state of Oregon who maybe are, or, or I think they would say, who are hostile to trans people, who are hostile to gay people, who are um, fringy religious right type people. And in a debate, he'd say, he said that he would do it again in a heartbeat. I mean, to me, that is just mirroring 
um, distracting talking points of people on the left who want to lump in, you know, everybody into the same group. Trump never took any position on any of our local issues. I think we need to bear in mind that the city council is, these are nonpartisan positions on local issues. And I, there's nothing, if, if you <laughs> right talk, again, We're not going to be going to Renee to request access to abortion. Right. And if you talk to him, I think he's very rational about, he doesn't believe that COVID is a hoax or anything like that, but there's a reasonable position fully to be vac- staked he's fully out. vaccinated. And that's actually probably sadly important to say out loud. He's yep. not an anti-vaxxer. But that there are, we are now seeing the data that shows that people who were questioning whether closing down schools was actually necessary or good for young people, and let's underscore, black and brown kids got fucked by this. Like, let, can we just stop, quote, helping the people that we purport to have concern about? We fucked those kids over left, right, and center, and they are now several grade levels below. Why do you think Kate Brown got rid of our graduation requirements? Can I can I give Please. an example of this? So in Georgia, there's a, a hotly contested senatorial race right now between uh, Warnock and Herschel Walker, and Warnock is doing all of these commercials that says that he he what is it called? Ran across the aisle, reached reached across the aisle, and passed a, a bill with Senator Ted Cruz could not be further apart ideologically. I'm sure that Ted Cruz is everything this guy despises. That's what grown-ups in politics do. Renee and his group will prove, history will prove that, that they did the right thing. There was a single issue people from all over the state, parents, were focused on. There's nothing wrong with the fact that he did not push away people who have ideological differences about issues that had nothing to do with what their focus was. So that is just an immature yes. uh, philosophy. I, I, I don't, where did that come from? Well, I, it came from Joanne's campaign. But it's <laughs> like it's like saying, I can't work at such and such company because there's a guy who sits across from me down the hall, kitty corner, who voted for Trump. Right. And I just, I'm not going to be able to work there. Right, that's right. I can't work for that man. And it's desperate. It's just desperate. I think Renee would be a sound, pragmatic voice who's able to take in the big picture public good and not be hostage to any particular um, issue. And that's what we need, right? We just want common sense people who are willing to give up their day job and come work for us, the people, and praise the Lord that we found one of them. And that he was willing to sally forth into this shithole and do it. I mean, uh, why aren't we just... uh, Joanne Hardesty, again, plenty of time to show what she can do. And she has been an abomination. And we all know that. You can go listen to to the the audio tape of her having a fit with her poor Lyft driver. It, It just... We can do better. And I think Renee is is perfectly the example of what we can do better. So should we go on to Multnomah County Commission Chair? Yes. Yeah, this is an important one. I think a lot of people are still it is so important. feeling it is, like Sharon and Jessica are the same. And my not. God, if you feel that way, 
please, for the love of Pete, download the Sharon Myron episode. And she bears it all. I mean, she she engages in, I feel like, in a way that Renee engages. And I want to say one more point about Renee. This political violence that we tolerate in this city is undemocratic. And it's wrong. And it's the reason nobody with half a brain runs for office. That's right. And God bless these people like Sharon Myron and Renee Gonzalez. I'm, I'm pointing out the window because his headquarters is right across the street. That place has been vandalized into oblivion, just like my black cosmetic owner friends. Poor, you know, can you imagine having a business right on the street here? She's got a street-level cosmetics business that literally depends on people walking into it. Vandalized into oblivion. The, the way this city goes about not just tolerating but I think, in my opinion, willfully turning a blind eye to the far left fringe violence. I'm going to call it violence. I know a lot of you are going to tell me it's property damage, it's property damage. You know what? It's violence. I don't care. You're breaking windows. You're destroying somebody's livelihood. You're destroying somebody's ability to run for office. That's anti-democratic. You're literally doing things to thwart this election that these January 6th nut jobs that you condemned did. You may not be storming a Capitol, but you're trying to intimidate somebody out of running for office. So I'm, I, oh, go ahead. I, I, so I, to your point, I sent an email to the new U.S. Attorney for the District of Oregon, to Mayor Wheeler, Commissioner Mapps, to Governor Brown. Who's the new attorney? Natalie White. Um, and I said, if either Renee Gonzalez or Christine Drazen wins on November 8th, we all know that uh, there's going to be destruction to small businesses, that Antifa is going to come down and they're going to do all this damage. For once, can we get ahead of it? And I encouraged Governor Brown to employ the National Guard. Uh, Natalie White, who is the act who was the U.S. Attorney for the District of Oregon, we, uh, the feds are lent PPB all the time. Why can't they be lent to us so that we can be proactive and get ahead of it? Not a single one replied to me. They're always reactionary. They're not going to have a plan for that night. And we all know what's going to happen if anybody who's not far right wins. No, that's, a, it's a huge problem. The other thing is if you're, let's say you're not into the ideology of this and you just don't care. I think it's important to understand that the Multnomah County Commission chair has an enormous, she's basically the reverse of Wheeler. She she is a monarch. She has an enormous. And the uh, reverse of Kotuk. Yeah, she has, she has an enormous amount of power. Over, I'm completely unchecked. Over how money gets spent. And the Multnomah County Commission has spent $250 million on homelessness and you know, according to the to our stats in the city, there's five thousand sons of a gun homeless on the streets, and spending two hundred and fifty million dollars, they can't house five thousand goddamn people. It's just insanity. So, the important thing I think to understand is that Jessica Vega Peterson is the two version of Deb Kafori, who who is has been in this position for how long has she been in this? Six Two years? Terms. Yes. Two terms. So, and she is committed. She's finally terming out. To, but, but Jessica Vega-Peterson is committed to business as usual, what we've been doing. The preschool program. 
Right, it, it, right, right. Brought sake. to you I mean, if by you... supporter Jessica Vega Peterson. I mean, this is what is oh, she touts it. Yeah, she, that's what she's running on preschool for all. So they they have spent what are the numbers on that? At uh, well, Amanda, you were the one who pointed out to me it was more than Biden spent to rehab Puerto Rico. It's it's a hundred and five thousand dollars per preschooler that they've actually enrolled in this program. It's Catlin Gable for all. It's Oregon Episcopal School for all. I think School it's worse all. than that. Catlin I think those Gable are only thirty-five all. grand with a gold crown. Catlin it is Gable for bullshit. All. These people can't run programming. We need Sharon Myron, who is the Sharon Myron is not a perfect candidate, but she's a good candidate, and she is committed to transparency, to opening this thing up. She's concerned about other things in that the um, commission has uh, control over, like, you know, vermin control. We're now, we're, we're, we're working on having rats the size of possums now. Yeah, now. and she actually directly addressed that. If you haven't heard it yet, download her interview on this podcast because she actually directly addressed vermin because she's an ER doc and she does street medicine. Right. She's There's so offensive. huge problems. And she is the only viable candidate. And as best I can tell, Jessica Began Peterson is running almost exclusively on a let's continue what we've got going. So we're spending money one direction and 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 just wasting it the other. We need people who will work together. That's one of the real appeals of Renee Gonzalez. And it's a real appeal, I think, of Sharon Myron. These are cooperative people rather than dogmatic people. They share the same ideology. They both are working with the only nonprofit that is actually being effective, effective in helping uh, our homeless, We Heart Portland. And um, I would well, that's true. I would say that uh, the the person yeah, both who Renee is, and Sharon are working with Kevin and Andrea. Well, and yeah. and the person who who I think is possibly the most responsible for the homeless crisis that we're seeing is the outgoing chair Deborah Kafori, who endorsed Jessica Vega Peterson. Uh, Jessica Vega Peterson proudly describes her as a mentee to Kafori. And now, of course, she's flip-flopping and becoming something that she's not. But she has maintained through this whole election that she intends to continue the legacy of Kafori, which is to withhold metrics and data and money, to not tell anybody, uh, to, to not work collaboratively with the board. Um, and kudos to Sharon Myron, who is speaking as frankly as I've ever heard a politician speak. I mean, she spoke at the city to the city council, and she spoke on the podcast, and she, I believe that she is ready to get to work. Please don't vote for JBP. Please vote for Sharon Myron. Did, did, no one I know, no one who's written into this podcast knows a single preschooler who has free preschool. <laughs> no, literally. That's my favorite part. Yes. And, and actually, we have a lot of fairly, you know, left-leaning people, I would say far more left than I am, and not a single one of them knows anybody who has free preschool. We had to pay for public kindergarten. Yeah, yeah. No, it's unbelievable. <laughs> so, um, so can we move on? And I want to okay, now. We've got Sharon Myron for Multnomah County Chair. Yeah. We're moving so on to. I want to put neon lights around this because I got that damned voter pamphlet and my ballot, and I wanted to stab myself in the face because I couldn't figure out where anything was. So the ballot measure on the Portland Charter election, because there's a bunch of things that look like it, is 26 dash. 228 
If you can find that ballot measure, vote no. And the other thing I want to say is, in general, on ballot measures, on um, uh, constitutional amendments, on money grabs by Metro, I vote no unless I really understand why I am voting yes. And the reason I do that is I learn the hard way. Because I'm one of the assholes who voted <laughs> in favor of drug decriminalization. I did too. Because it was described in the thing, it said that it would reclassify certain drug offenses, which felt like, okay, things get, you know, misclassified. We need administrative regulation of sentencing all the time. And it said it was spending money on um, on uh, drug treatment. rehabilitation. They it treatment. The drug treatment. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. Any right-thinking oh, it all person sounded good. would be supportive of this. And then I learned after the fact that I had voted to decriminalize meth and heroin and any other substance you could think of. Well, and if you listen to the Mike Marshall episode, Oregon Recovers, on this podcast, you'll also learn that treatment was defined as needle exchanges and safe smoking yes. kits. It's not drug rehab. This isn't Hazelden. Right. This ain't Betty Ford. No one is getting off of these drugs under Measure 110. That's not where the money goes. The money goes to, quote-unquote, harm reduction. And and from what I can tell from just looking at the sidewalk, um, needle exchange programs are, in fact, Just looking out well. the window. And so, I, I mean, I vote no on all the crap on that ballot. Um, and, but the Portland charter election is 26-228, and we are a hard-ass no on that one. It is a horrible, if you like how screwed up this city is now, you would love a reformed city charter. And I want to, I want to explain something to, to, to listeners, because I, I don't think that, um, respectfully, I don't think that Mingus and Vadim's uh, PACs did a, did a good enough job explaining this. For those of you who are saying, I'm not going to take a chance on this out in the ether, you know, pr- promoting that something will get will get on the ballot at some point. That's not the case. The way that it works is that if the city council can get the votes, they already have the votes. Ryan, Maps, uh, and Wheeler, and Gonzalez have all said that they are personally voting no to the November charter ballot. Maps already has a well-planned, well-thought-out, well-researched alternative. So if three of the five city commissioners, which they will, put MAPS ballot on the May ballot, it can get passed then. So we're talking, what, is that six months? Yeah. This charter ballot, people need to know the backstory, which is that a group of people who somehow seem to be on every single city commission, and that's something for another episode we have to talk about, the power these quote-unquote volunteer commissions have, they're all the same players. They sort of backdoored in this crazy, uh, experimental, never-been-tested-before approach in the name of equity when the most experienced policy people on the Charter Commission, all of the lawyers on the Charter Commission, all voted no. One of them resigned in protest. Uh, The person leading this, Candace Avalos, unsuccessfully ran for city council a few years ago. If this passes, she can get the same ridiculously low percentage of votes and get on the city council. 
Hardesty will be back. You Daily will be back. I promise oh, you. I, and and more to the point, Proud Boys will have yeah, a representative. Yes. Yeah. I mean, under the revised charter, you will only have to get 25% of the vote in order to get on the council, as I understand That's it. That's correct. That is going to mean we're going to have a fringy bunch of weirdos who are worse than what we've got. And I mean, I guess I take issue with the premise that our current structure somehow bars non-white um cisgender males from getting onto the thing. I mean, we've got, under our current situation, we've got a gay man in Dan Ryan, a black man in Mingus Maps, a black woman in Joanne Hardesty, Ted Wheeler, white dude, and then Carmen Rubio, a Hispanic lady. So I don't see that where there is an imperative in terms of representation, which I already said I kind of take issue with that concept, I'd but, say we have an overrepresentation. Yes, in we Oregon. have an overrepresentation. Certainly in Portland. And, and, and in the sense that I think this is something that voters are already attuned to, right? So so the problem with this this charter election, as I understand it, is it takes this bizarre methodology of a particular form of ranked choice voting and what's it called? Single transferable ballot? Yes, single transferable vote. And so what that means is that once you've voted for a candidate and that candidate has 25% of the vote, they take your vote, which may be an excess vote at that point, and they put it somewhere. But there's no mechanism of where it gets put. Like, let's say I vote for, um, let's just use the existing people. Let's say I vote for Mingus Maps, even though these people won't be running at the same time. It can go to some indeterminate place. Maybe it gets placed to Joanne Hardesty, who I don't support at all. The mechanism is completely unclear. And actually, the Willamette Week did a really good article on this, showing how it is free. This is not like any voting scheme you ever experienced in student government and voting for president anywhere. It is, it is not fleshed out yet. I don't want to vote for a system that is to be determined later. I think there is a very good chance that we would have an election where we actually couldn't tell who the winner is. And as we know from our recent election chaos, what we don't need is questions, big question marks hanging over elections. Like, that's yeah. a real problem. We yeah. need straightforward voting schemes. Yeah, they ignored the will of the people. The overwhelming percentage of those polled said they want to be able to vote individually. So they want a city manager to be elected now. But they ignored that. And what really is unsettling to me is that the woman who's one of the heads of the commission, her quote is, it's like a car. You don't know how a car works. You just need to trust it'll, it'll work. That was literally her exact uh, explanation as to why voters should rely on these inexperienced volunteers who have no public policy experience. They they don't have degrees in it. They haven't worked in it. Please hold on a little bit longer, people. I know that I, I'm worried that this is going to pass. And, um, and, and most importantly, there is no functional municipality in the country or in the world that is utilizing this system. We have been the guinea well, pigs of democracy for long enough. I want to be clear. Sonia Montalbano, in her episode, she's from Mingus Maps' Ulysses Pack, did say that Malta. Malta. No, 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 I was but just Malta, say. she said that was just 
that yeah, particular voting are, mechanism. No, it's that's not true. the whole package. It's not the entire right. package. You're no, right. It's not there the isn't, whole package. They cannot point to a single place on the face of this no. earth that has engaged in this package of government. And why don't we just go to a similar size city that functions? Nashville. And, and like, copy their system. Right. How hard is it? Right. Did we really need to convene a bunch of ideologues and psychopaths to come up with the kookiest system imaginable? My understanding is one of them cannot vote. I think that's right. I think there's, like, high schoolers on this. I can't remember if it's the Multnomah County reform system or the Portland Charter reform okay. system. Either I, I, I way, read something, I, I find that deeply disturbing. Yeah. So this is so this is one of the leads who sort of bulldozed her way and wants to— got 9% of the vote when she ran and, and is doing this because she wants to be on the city council— publicly said, this town doesn't deserve the countless women of color who actually make the change Portlanders cry out for, only to dump them immediately the moment they threaten your power, scapegoating them for the damage the problematic men you support created. Shameful and grotesque. She's talking about the people that don't support this charter reform. This is her public statement. This is someone who's getting paid by the city. It's not a lot, but they get some sort of stipend. This is what she has to say. This is who who is supporting this ballot. Yeah, I'm just tired of hysteria. I'm tired of identity politics. We need to unify around, I think, common principles of a lawful city, um, accountability for adults, uh, and and generally an organized society that just respects the law. And, and, And this is so far a step in the other direction. So, and this is really going to harm us. We're going to stay mired in this crap for a decade. It's going to be really hard to undo. And you're going to see the the Portland City Council, if we expand, if this would expand the council from five to 12. This would expand the budget of the council to, to by tens of millions of dollars. If you enjoy hapless, incompetent bureaucracy, Please vote in favor of the the alleged reform to the Portland Charter. But if you feel like we need to really move in a better direction, vote no on 26-228 with the idea being that we, within six months, are going to have an actually decent um, change to vote for that will bring us more in line with more functional um, cities. So can I say a quick word about the bully commissioner? Well, I just need, I, I think I need to go back to charter reform for one second. And I just want to explain that we're not fear mongering. No. That I actually had sent both of you numerous tweets from people saying it's not a big deal if Joanne loses. If Joanne Hardesty yeah. loses for city council, what we'll do is charter reform will pass. We will get her back in. And then we will get Sarah E. Anarone, who is the quote unquote, I am in Tifa candidate for mayor and I think frankly the only reason that that sap Ted Wheeler won that mayoral position Mm -hmm. um, I have heard numerous numerous people say that was the worst vote I ever cast and I just felt compelled to do it and I understand why you did it and I did the same thing we all held our nose and did it except for the people who thought anybody than Ted Wheeler is better and didn't do any research on this woman now she will be on city council mark my words we have already seen numerous people behind the scenes, the three of us sitting here at this table, talking about how machinations in which they will be getting Sarah Anarone on the city council to the extent they can't get her on, they're going to move heaven and earth to work to try 
And um, if you think things are bad now, and if you think the nonprofit mafia is bad, and you think pre- preschool for all is expensive, you wait till this thing passes. Right. And right. New Daily, New Daily will be. She's oh yeah. Oh, they've already talked on. about Chloe. She'll she's, be back on. She's creating a new nonprofit. Remember to get her, city Chloe funds. Daily, Mingus Maps won that yeah. won, won that race. Is the reason so she many homeowners sold their single unit rentals? Yeah, yeah. she'll be back. And the Proud Boys. Yeah. No, they, there's gonna. It's just gonna be a fringe assembly. It's it's just, and can we stop embarrassing and disgracing ourselves nationally? Do we really have to have the most idiotic fringe <laughs> government imaginable? Can't we function like a, like a, an adult city? Of people in your, who, in your opinion. God damn it. I think it. the answer is no. But, just, but I think we'd, we all wish to see it. You know, we're all just dying to not be the butt of one of Bill Maher's 10-minute right. jokes. Right, to be something to be proud of, which is actually, I think, a forward-thinking community where you want everybody to have a say and you really do value the things that I think Oregonians value. But we are heading in the wrong direction with this nonsense. So let me... Um, so, yeah, we can move on to bullying. Yeah, so which, Amanda, we have you know, very you know few more statewide elected offices in this state. And one of these is the commissioner of the Bureau of Labor and Industries. And if you've ever had an issue with your employer or you've wanted to seek out job training or you feel like you're not being paid in accordance with the, the wage laws, the Bureau of Labor and Industries, which the, the shorthand acronym is BOLI, is where you would go to get those remedied. And we're endorsing Christina Stevenson, who is an employment lawyer. She represents employees. Um, she is, I think, probably to the left of me politically, but she's the, really the only credible candidate. Um, the uh, Her opponent, Helm, is not a lawyer. She doesn't, I'm, I'm guessing she's had virtually no interaction with, with Boley. Um, what I don't like about I hate that agency. I, and, and honestly, if I could, if I had the chutzpah to run for the position of bully commissioner and, and, and undo it, I probably would. Um, but th- that job has a lot. Amanda of, and I have some experience with the bully. <laughs> right, some extended experience. <laughs> but that job has a lot of arbitrary power that can be easily abused. We've seen it abused in the past, and we need a pragmatic, moderate person who's really focused on employees in Oregon who is going to get this agency functional again. That agency is not doing basic crap like um, providing employees who have been subject to investigations there with their closed files so they can figure out if they have potential claims. Um, We don't need material change in this issue. We just need this this agency to function. And as we all know, under Kate Brown, most agencies are not functioning. Um, Christina has emphasized job training. And in the wake of COVID, with all these uneducated kids who can barely read and write and uh, do math, getting young adults employed is going to be really vital. It's vital for our businesses. Um, I think Sherry Helt, who is, is, as I understand, not a lawyer. I don't think she has the credentials for the job. I understand the impulse to vote for change and just to vote for whomever is different. But in this case, Christina really is an earnest, um, smart, properly motivated person. It's different because she's smart. Yeah, she is smart. She is smart. 
And again, I'm offended by her campaign emphasizing how she's pro-choice, like I'm going to go stop by bullying and get an abortion. I think, And she's and a I, great person, too. I think too. she's going to win, and I think she's the right She choice. should win, yeah. but there is a there's an element that's just sort of voting for change. And I'm all for change, but I want to be changed in the right direction. Sure. Change with the Portland Charter in the sake of change is a dumb idea. Change in the bully commissioner with the sake of a non-lawyer is a dumb idea. Okay. Okay. Next, what's our next race? Oh, someone could talk about like state senate candidates. I'm voting for crackpots. I mean, <laughs> just because not, I don't I want that legislature to be idiotically supermajority blue. But you mean you're not, not those... voting for Maxine Dexter as part of the Oregon squad, which would include Lisa Reynolds, Dexter, right. and I just want. I am doing Steiner a Hayward. protest vote um, because I am. I do not want a supermajority. These are not votes I'm proud of. I guess I could write in like the names of my children or you ladies, but uh, I don't. I'm just so irritated. I yeah, don't know. honestly, anyone has anything good paying, to say? No, I, I haven't been paying a lot of attention to. Um, I don't even know if I have anyone in my district that. I don't have anybody in my district, but I absolutely understand why you would want to vote for. Some other nut Outlier. job than Maxine Dexter, Lisa Reynolds, or Elizabeth Steiner Hayward. Yeah. Um, I don't think Reynolds is up for re-election quite uh, yet. No. Uh, but the other two are, I think. That's and someone that we should get to run against. Well, I, I think Portland Party needs to work on a candidate yeah, to run against Lisa Reynolds. That's my district. But they are our equivalent. I, I think they are our fringier, I would say. Far fringier, far less... Uh, interesting to hear speak far less dynamic version of the, the squad yeah. in fact to call them the squad is it would be a compliment yeah. so i think i i usually just refer to them as this, three of the four horsemen of the apocalypse and and Reynolds, we've got dexter and we've got um steiner hayward up for re-election and amanda saying she's just going to vote for uh, nut jobs on the other side because what's the point this isn't as, and I, my understanding is this isn't a Sarah Yannarone Wheeler type election where the person that we would get would be so far fringe that it would be much scarier right. than and the incumbent. I'm confident, frankly, that these incumbents will win. I just want to oh, send a message will. of like, knock it off. Knock it off with the crazy lefty stuff. Can you please find a goddamn policy that just helps the middle? and pursue it or stop passing stupid legislation that that's all i want and that my thing is just sort of a sending up a flare um because we don't have frankly credible I, I, options the, 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 their priorities are just stunning to me i mean we all want to live in this ideal yeah. world but right now there's there are pressing issues they are these people are so blinded by ideology, mm -hmm. yes. that they can't see what's right in front of them. Mm -hmm. In fact, Maxine Dexter, who's a doctor, now I was told by a, a good friend of mine that Maxine Dexter, who is an MD, told her not to allow her preschooler back into preschool because she could get COVID and risk death. Wrap your mind around that. This is a healthy three-year-old. I mean, she doesn't want her to go back to preschool. I mean, these are the people that we're dealing with. This is the rest. Of, I, I want everybody to understand this because everybody in Oregon, nobody travels. I get it. 
the planes don't go anywhere. You got to go to Seattle or San Francisco first before you can go anywhere real. I got it. It's expensive. Whatever. We don't make a ton of money in the state, which is another problem. And that's why we need to vote for good candidates because we don't have the money to support a bunch of nut jobs and they're all their pet projects. But here's the deal. When you have people who are so blinded by their ideology that they are, they can't use their medical training or their brain to evaluate what should be a simple situation. I mean, when daycares are literally open in Oregon, and that's saying a lot because we know that schools were closed for 18 months. When daycares are open in Oregon and you decide to, to go ahead with what Oregon, crazy fucking Oregon, who's only the penultimate craziest state for closing schools for 18 months, not slightly longer like California. We are number 49 to open. Um, when you're just following along in their nut job guidance and bringing your kid to daycare and you're told by a state representative that you're risking death, I just think we've got to take a look at these other people and, make, and weigh whether or not they're nuttier. And if they're not, fucking vote for them. Especially where you don't have anybody on the left saying, gosh, maybe we got this wrong. Let's look at what we did and reevaluate and recalibrate for next time. I mean, there's no sense of apology, for, no. especially, I'm sorry, the black and brown kids who just got uniquely. No, they're doubling screwed. down on that. We, they're we doubling all, down we on that. We all know parents whose kids were have been um, forever damaged yes um and 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 again i want to i want to make sure people understand that the reason why in my opinion teachers got prioritized over seniors to get vaccinated was because the teachers union controls the democratic party and the democratic governor that's yes. that is 100 percent the reason i mean didn't you ask yes, yourself so teachers then teachers got to elbow their way ahead in the line over 90 year olds Right, and then after getting vaccinated, the union said, "We are not going back." Yep, and this is what they. This is the privilege they paid for. Right, this is the privilege that they pay the Democratic Party for. And I, for one, find it just revolting. It's just gross. And they leveraged the union leveraged bargaining terms that they've been asking for years before the pandemic. Uh, they they used our kids oh, as yeah, hostages. Yeah, they wanted days off. You want to know why yeah. your kid at PPS has so many goddamn yeah. days off? It's the teachers' because union. they bargained for that to get the schools open. And yeah. that they held your child hostage. Coach, I, I promise you, there. And this have is been... why you want to vote for Renee because okay. he got your school open. And right. there have been backdoor conversations. I promise you, where the unions have made it clear to Kotech, if you stray, if you stray a little bit, in four years, you're not going to be our girl. And she, those are her marching orders. So parents, forget the abortion thing. Forget it. It's a red herring. It's not true. Yeah, 100%. So should we talk about the state constitutional amendments? I, I guess. Have, yeah, I mean, okay. So can we, at, at a big picture level, this is where I vote no, absent a compelling <laughs> reason to vote yes. So... I view our current Oregon Constitution as basically a beat-up old Subaru with a bunch of shitty bumper stickers on the back that say things like, love your mother earth, I break for gnomes, and everything else that you might see on the back of a beat-up Subaru in Oregon. 
What is a state constitution supposed to be? It's supposed to be a, a statement of the foundational principles on which your state is built on that are the, the North Star in, in the way that you make policy and the guidelines for uh, your courts to adhere to. That's just not what we have. We've got a yard sale of ideas. And part of the problem is that you can amend our Constitution by a 51% vote. Compare that to the U.S. Constitution. Again, I know we're hearkening back to sixth grade, but it's a real pain in the keister to get the U.S. Constitution amended because you've got to get basically a, a vast supermajority of states and voting citizens. So we've got a bunch of sort of bad ideas and then just general concepts that are going to have no teeth. And as a, as a, as a general matter, I just, I'm offended by the, the idea that this is why, how and why we amend our Constitution. So the first one is Measure 111. It amends the Constitution to say state must ensure affordable health care access. We have a very similar provision in the Constitution that talks about our rights for children in education. The court has essentially ruled it's meaningless. Um, it is just virtue signaling. It's not policy making. It doesn't demand an appropriation of funds. Um, the job of making sure we have affordable health care access is of the legislature. And they haven't done it, even though they've had a Democratic supermajority. It's just more of our... It's just more virtue signaling. And so I think we need to say no and then hold our legislators accountable for this. Remember, we have the Oregon Health Plan, so we already have in place a mechanism for low-income Oregonians. A great mechanism. A great mechanism. I mean, it's very really actually it's one of the things we do this, reasonably Yes. Well. Yeah. And so I'm going to say no because it just doesn't have any force. It doesn't have any real meaning, and it doesn't have any funding mechanism. So I'm I'm no on that. I'm no on that as well. Jennifer? So, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's Absolutely. unanimous. So it's so stupid. This, this <laughs> Measure 112 says there shall be neither slavery nor involuntary servitude in this state other than as a punishment for a crime, and it alters the language about how an Oregon court or probation or parole agency can make a convicted criminal do stuff. Now, if you, there's actually some incredible, powerful literature about how post-Civil War in Alabama um, and other southern states, corporations could lease um, people who were convicted of crimes, usually, you know, uh, crimes of just standing around unemployed and have them work almost to the point of, or often to the point of death. That was a real problem. It's not a real problem right now in Oregon. Perhaps you haven't heard. We don't even incarcerate people unless they stab someone in the face. Um, it's We don't have law enforcement of any note here. So is the crux of this that, that they no longer could do work crews? That's the problem. And, and if you read the... Yeah. Uh, it, it creates problems for jail 
skills that are going to make it harder for them to have inmates doing work like working in the jail library. Right. This is what the voters said. That's not what inmates want. Inmates want every opportunity to get out and and work and be outside. So, you know, why why did they backdoor this in? So it's a solution to a non-existent problem. It's virtue signaling associated with the word slavery, because if someone says the word slavery, then we need to all do a dance, you know, an interpretive dance around it. Yes. And amending the state constitution is a big deal, and I'm not going to do it unless there's a real need. And here, I think the amendment would cause more harm than good. Okay, so this next one, I actually okay, think... Okay, I'm voting no on that, just to be well, clear. I hope to God. Um, so... Jennifer, can we get a verbalization from you well, here? I... I I have not paid attention to this, and but my inclination is... I feel like we should, because Amanda's right. Here's the thing. If we don't pay attention to this shit, it and it goes sliding it through, then that's how we end up with Measure 110. Yes. Yeah. It sounds great, and then it, it slides through, and then it's a shitstorm nightmare that we can't ever claw our way out of. Well, there and any no, I'm just looking to see if there were any no statements, which is weird, because usually you see... No, there are, by the sheriffs. Okay. Um, but again, so yeah. we're looking at the voters' guide. I, the and voters there are guide, no, no. Honestly, you might as well get out some. You know, I wouldn't say Deuteronomy, but some like really remote segment of the Old Testament, and try to interpret your bo- your ballot based on that. It's, and numbers. I, I also numbers. think this is going to bring a lot of litigation <laughs> because it's so ambiguously worded. It doesn't it doesn't clarify what programs mean. Um, and I, I can personally tell you that um, people that are in jail and prison, they like to be busy. They yes. like to be doing something. Right. And as, as Jennifer has discussed before, she does criminal defense and she knows something about this issue. A little bit, little bit. And if you have committed a crime in this state sufficient to get you actually incarcerated, is it too much to ask that you're doing something for the public good during the time that you are out of general civilian life, maybe you'll learn a skill. You know, they had people who could sign up to do the um, the firefighting in the 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 western states firefighting. Yeah, and they call and, that indentured servitude. And yeah. they've been and many of them have been pardoned now. Yes, or, or, and I'm they've gotten to get employed because right. now they have these skills. Yeah, yeah, you know, Lionel Irving came on this episode. He's on the Joanne Hardesty's uh, FitCog team. He's on the despite committing homicide, he's turned his life around and he has become appointed to this community gun violence task force. You can find his episode on the podcast, but he talked about how the reason he was able to turn his life around is he got jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And they taught him skills. And guess what? If you want to look at, you know, men who are dying, these deaths of despair, it is enormously linked to a lack of purpose. We find our purpose as human beings in working and doing things of value. And if people are learning those skills while they are incarcerated, then that's, I think, nothing but good. Right? Yeah, I think it's a non-issue that's... Well, they're using the word slavery to make it sound like we need to codify what Abraham Lincoln believed. That's not what this is. You know, it's just such how much did this cost? It's probably a bunch of college students, honestly. But the um, so then measure one thirteen. I'm also voting. It's a thousand monkeys with a thousand typewriters. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm voting no on this, and I think 
all sides. Okay, so hang on, let's say okay, what it well, is first. Say, yeah. okay. So Measure 113 amends the Constitution so that legislators with 10 unexcused absences from floor sessions are disqualified from holding the next term of well, office. Well, this is, this is clearly a Betsy Drazen net. Yes. Tra it's a trap. Yes. To get people who are reasonable to not run. And, and I just want to speak to one of our listeners. So we received a question from a listener who said, Christine Drazen is not going to work for Oregon because she walks out of the legislature. And I think it's important that we talk about that in regard to this ballot measure. So to understand that, you have to understand that um, Oregon has weird votes around a quorum. And a quorum is the number of people who you have to have present on the floor before you can take a legitimate vote. In most legislatures, you just need to have a simple majority, so more than 50% of the people there. In Oregon, you have to have a two-thirds majority to have a quorum. So if, if a... Now, remember, the way that the Oregon legislature has been comprised, on any party vote, the Dems can pass anything. So actually, Drazen and Johnson both opposed this measure in the last debate. And Drazen was asked specifically about why she had participated in a walkout on the cap-and-trade bill. And she said... And this is the reason that people say, and we've gotten a lot of listener questions about this, Amanda, people say Drazen is against climate change. So well, let's, No, no, what she had said, and, and think about it now. Remember, this is like, I don't I can't remember, a year ago or something. So, and that's she, also the criticism of Betsy, of course. Yeah. So she had she had voted against, or she had supported the walkout and walked out, which would have prevented them from taking the vote on cap and trade, um, because the legislative analysts had calculated that this would have increased gas in our state by three dollars a gallon. Try adding that to what you've got now. And she and Betsy <laughs> felt that this would devastate segments of, of our citizenry that are suffering enough already, right? Like, I'm sorry, I fill up my car and I don't worry that much about the gas price. It doesn't affect how I'm going to eat that week. But I, but I know that I have people who live I live in this city with who it does affect how they're going to eat that week. Add three bucks a gallon to what we've got now. And so the Republicans walked out to prevent that vote, which was going to beat us over the head with it. I believe that we need to take steps to address our climate. I don't believe that Oregon acting on its own dramatically and torturing its citizenry is going to make any material difference. Or frankly, forget dramatically. It's going to move the needle. It's a like, like, don't eat meat for, you know, stop eating right. meat Amanda's and you're going to have as much impact. Amanda's a pescatarian. She has a fair amount of knowledge about how much how much of a carbon footprint you can reduce in that regard. Right. And if you want to get on that train, right. please, for Christ's do sake, do, the, do it in that manner. But this wasn't okay. And the other thing that this ignores is that the Democrats did this in, I can't remember if it was 2011 or 2012. They did the same thing. Well, you know who wrote about this is Willamette Wake. So we'll cite to this in the show notes, but 
specific the, oh go ahead it, but the bottom line is do i really want and then johnson opposed this because she felt it gave too much power to some um legislative bureaucrat who i assume is the person deciding whether or not an, an absence is excused or unexcused well and i think tracking back to hayward steiner who's up for re-election in the state legislature um this particular person lectured Amanda and I about how Betsy Johnson is anti-climate change. Uh, Amanda and I have heard Betsy speak. We've heard her explain why she is not only not anti-climate change, she is pro-environmentalism. She just wants some kind of balance and common sense added to that kind of legislation. She, she gave over a big chunk of her family's land to the public coffers. Wrap I mean, your mind around that for a second. Yeah. If you feel that your legislator is not showing up for votes in a way that you feel like compromises your representation, by all means, vote on that. But this amendment would say the person can't run. I think that that can be a reasonable factor in somebody's reelection. But the idea that you're going to exclude somebody from running, by some bureaucrat's going to exclude someone from running, that's too much. That goes too far. We're, as voters, we can figure this out on our own. Well, and I think a lot of people don't understand this. I found it amazing that Willamette Week actually reported on this. We're going to link to this in the show notes. She's using a strategy. This is from Willamette Week, a strategy for success in a state where Republicans are outnumbered. The only way to win is not to play. And I think in this state where Democrats' agenda is so left-wing that it's it's beyond what it's beyond what Ren, Renee would call the silent majority or the Overton window of acceptable political opinions. It goes far beyond that. And so what a lot of people don't know what this Willamette Week article talked about is, look, she graduated from college. She joined the Oregon legislature as a staffer two years later. This is Christine Drazen running for governor. She rose to chief of staff for former House Speaker Mark Simmons. She always had her shit together, Simmons recalls. She did her homework. It was in his office that Drazen witnessed, wait for it, House Democrats walk out of the Capitol in June 2001, denying Republicans a quorum needed to pass a new congressional district map. Kate Brown walked out with them. Now, she served two terms as governor, and those of you who are asking me how Christine Drazen is going to serve Oregon if she walks out of the legislature. Y'all vote for Kate Brown twice. This is what she did. You walk out when you don't have a majority because nobody wants to hear about it, but Democrats walked out when it benefited them. This is one week reporting on it, and now the unions want to make it a capital offense and brand her as a, a lazy legislator when it was really the opposite of that. If you're walking out, it shows that you're paying attention to what's in front of you and you're not just snoozing through these, frankly, what I think are extremely snoozy sessions. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And look who all the endorsers are. I mean, it's mostly unions, right? You know. I know, but can you say which ones? Because some of them we love. Like, obviously, we love yes, the firefighters. of course. I mean, but it's the... Um, well, I don't want to get. Just, I don't want to get. It's all the lefty unions whose bread is buttered okay. by. Let me guess. Is it the teachers union? Look, I'll take the death threats. Is it the teachers union? Is it SEIU? Can you just say? Can we say who it is? Um, 
I'll say who it is. Yeah, this is just okay. Good, it's the yeah. teachers' union. So it's these the, are the people yeah. who wanted to keep your schools it's closed. Coalition for, of Communities of Color. Okay, so Coalition of Communities of Color are behind the Portland Charter Reform crap, right. and so that this will only benefit them. And it's short-sighted because they don't realize that voters are waking up and paying attention. And if they don't get back to the middle, they're not going to stay in office forever. Okay, yeah, moving on to the next one. So well, that's a no. Well, the next one is near and dear to my heart, but it's probably going to be a point of contention. This is the, the measure that would require a permit to acquire fire, firearms and limit ammo magazines. And I think at a, at a top-level sort of thing, that seems fine, right? Shouldn't you have to have a permit to get a firearm and shouldn't, ammo magazines not be unlimited. So I think it's important to understand that presently you do have to undergo a background check in order to get a firearm. And if you're somebody like me who's lived in a number of different um, states, my handgun background check took nine months. And thank God nobody was like trying to kill me during that time. Um, and it, it's just that if you have a common name and if you've lived in a lot of states, it's going to take a while. So nobody can purchase a firearm who has not undergone a background check in Oregon. That's existing law. The other existing law that we have are red flag laws. And that means that you can go petition local law enforcement if you think, let's say your kid Johnny is a nut job and you know Johnny has a rifle and you're worried about what he's going to do you can uh, petition your local law enforcement to remove the firearms from Johnny's house. And I think credible sources who want to know how do we stop mass shooters have, I think, almost unanimously said the most important thing that we can do is have these red flag laws where on a targeted basis you can remove and prevent dangerous people from accessing weapons. But I do have an issue where you get beyond that and you get into a permitting structure. First of all, this measure is going to vest broad discretion in the state to determine without any sort of objective, firm objective criteria, whether someone is, quote, reasonably likely to be a danger to themselves or others. Um, whereas, like, it, Currently, the, the under the red flag laws and under the background check laws, you've got more objective standards, such as you can't purchase a firearm if you're convicted of a felony or a crime of domestic violence, if you're guilty by, have been found guilty by reason of insanity, if you've been deemed incompetent to stand trial, or if you've been previously committed to a mental health institution. You cannot get a gun if you fall into one of those categories. So please don't think that you can get a gun generally. I think this is likely unconstitutional. There's a case in New York. And so if we do pass this, that That's means my it's going to be full employment for lawyers as they go litigate this for the next, you know, three years. Um, I'm fine with ammo limits as a general principle, but I do have an issue with the state failing to protect citizens and then telling them that you can't protect yourself. And you may say, well, I bet that... that that um, the state would determine that I could properly have a gun. But here's the problem. 
This puts a massive new administrative burden on police to administer this whole system. There's no time limits associated with it. No one in law enforcement has the time or bandwidth or money to take on this sort of thing. And what that's going to mean is no one's going to get a permit, no matter how great the need. And so um, this, this idea of your right to protect yourself, especially in a lawless damn society like ours, is actually quite important. And, you know, we feel like we're responsible to protect ourselves absent the state doing it for us, which they've made clear that they're not willing to do. Um, the other thing... To what is interesting about this is even the far left agrees with you. Yeah. Because Antifa wants to arm themselves. Yeah, well, of course they do, because they want to look at what they've done. Yeah, well, they're patrolling, you know. I mean, they're... they're with guns slung across their and chest. And they're also, you know, firing mortars at the federal courthouse. For 100-plus nights, yes. So, um... But in ter because of these recent police budget deficits, we're 49th out of 50 in terms of the number of law enforcement. We don't have people to administer this program that is being foisted upon it by voters. I want our cops to be out policing. I don't want them to do be doing administrative stuff about permitting people. Um, it's too much. It's too much. And the Oregon Department of Administrative Services financial impact statement in the voters' ballot estimates it's going to be $50 million a year in additional law enforcement resources to carry out these duties. Where do we get that $50 million a year? We don't have it. The permit fees that they're projecting would raise only $19.5 million a year. No one says where the additional $30 million a year are going to come from. So what this means is applications are going to sit for months or more at a time before they're processed, no time limit on when these have to be processed. And this is going to be effectively denying people the ability to carry out their fundamental constitutional right of, of uh, possessing a firearm. So um, the Oregon sheriffs are opposed to this as unconstitutional. Um, the Hunters Association is likewise opposed to it. As a sane person who doesn't want to get killed by some meth addict in my bed, I am opposed to it. Um, well, and I think to the extent you don't love hunters, I want to be clear that, like, I don't love hunters. People in Oregon, you well, you're a pescatarian, to be clear. You're not a vegetarian, but people don't um, shoot. Yes, fish. they do not shoot fish. <laughs> well, unless they're in a barrel, of course. <laughs> <laughs> which I kind of feel like we're doing about some of the candidates on this podcast, which is, you know, look, what I learned, and this might blow your mind, but what I learned for by advocating for, believe it or not, um, farm workers in Boise when I was a, a teeny tiny baby lawyer for minimum wage um, is that a lot of them were hunters. And because they live in Idaho, and Idaho is a big hunting state, and that's how they ate. Yes, and I'm sorry. Factory farming is so Poor much worse. Poor people eat via hunting. Yes. They don't buy their meat at the grocery store. And middle-income people eat via hunting. It's and and even you, source. Amanda, a pescatarian who is, and, and I think we all at this table are animal lovers and can agree that factory farming is disgusting and deplorable would far rather have somebody like joe rogan shoot an axis deer on the island of Kauai than have some factory farm 
pump out chicken after chicken after chicken who's lived some horrific life and is suffering a horrific death. These are poor people who are just trying to eat. But the other thing that I think, remember We don't live in a rich state. No, but the statistic that we talked about earlier was shootings have gone up triple. Threefold. Yeah, in, in, in three years. During that time, there has not been any greater access to guns. Do you really think that the sons of a gun who are out there that are shooting one another, that are that are carjacking you, that are um, killing homeless people in their camps, which are other homeless people, do you really think these are people who are going to go petition their local law enforcement to get a permit to get a weapon? No, the problem we have in our society with shootings and violence are people who don't give a shit about the laws. Isn't that just obvious and implicit in this whole thing? And so all you're doing is burdening law-abiding individuals, and it is not what we need to be doing right now in our Constitution. If, if, if the legislature wants to pass some kind of rational law enforcement, wants to some kind of gun-related legislation at the legislative level, they can do that. But the notion that you're going to put this into our Constitution, and look at the thing, it's a behemoth. I mean, how big is our Constitution going to be? It's just an end run, and it, it's it's allowing special interests to just try to get around the legislative process. It's a terrible idea, and I'm against it. We've had a lot of listeners who are moms who are scared of school shootings. Okay, I mean, talking about how they're voting yes on this, and they just can't. Okay, stomach so they they now. think that the people who's going to go in and shoot Junior are going to first petition local law enforcement to get a gun. I don't think it's so. It's something like ninety nine percent of school shootings. Yeah, I mean, if you're interested in, in if you're interested in dealing with school shootings, I mean, look at look at Lanza, Adam Lanza. He shot up Sandy Hook. That was the uh, the Alex Jones controversy, and that nut job got his guns from his mother. Yeah. So I. I, um, I to how about Columbine? Right. That was a gun loophole. Yeah. A buddy bought it at a gun show and handed it to his high school friends. This doesn't assist you at all with shootings at your school. No, and it's just it, it, it's just a sideshow. And it, I think it, what what all of this stuff does is it makes it seem as if this issue is a lot easier to solve. The problem is that shootings in this society have gone up by three times in the past three years. In for, Portland, in this society, in, in, yeah, yeah, in this society. For reasons that we need to look at, I think it has to do with a general sense of lawlessness. I think it has to do with a total lack of visibility of law enforcement. And I think it has to do with us as a society saying we don't care about abiding by the law and civilized living. It, it's, it isn't because we didn't require enough people to get permits. I mean, just stop. <laughs> so Those people are I, not going to go through a permit process. I, I'm embarrassed to say I did not know that Oregon has a red flag law. I have never heard of it being used. My guess is that the ACLU would fight it tooth and nail. But I would I'm much sure rather they see. Would. I would much rather see us devote our energy and time and votes uh, firming up such a law because I absolutely believe that is the most critical piece in stopping these school shootings. We all know the demographics the same. Every every time that they that that there's a school shooting, it's like the, the guys basically the same makeup as the next guy. Um, and I agree that uh, 
there are, um, it will not change the illegal element in terms of guns. I, I think let's let's circle back at the next election and get a concrete red flag red flag log that people are using because I don't think it's ever been used. I've never heard of it used. I mean, but, but that's what needs to happen. And, yeah. and every time you look at these situations where somebody has gone in and shot up a school recently, you know, the parent or goes to the media and says, I notified my sheriff that he was a danger, right. he was off kilter. And there's usually a human breakdown. And that's the, the chain we need to strengthen because mentally ill people with guns are scary, but this is not going to stop that because your existing background check law stops that. So, um, well, and to the extent they want one, they're going to get them. They're going to get them from their mom, like Adam Lanza, or they're going to get them from their buddy from a gun show. Just I, an yeah, I, don't, I don't have a. How do you think the gangs a, yeah, in Old Town are getting their guns? Oh, I, I think that they're going through the uh, background check process. I and I, you know, I don't have a strong feeling about this, but they I, just want to comply I, I with the law. I don't think it's going to be. I don't think it's. I think it'll make people feel better, thinking that it's. Oh, it makes them feel great. And I get that. And I get that it's. I mean, I, I am glad that my daughter goes to an all-girls school. Let's let's put it that way. But um, I just don't know if it's. Um, again, I. Think I can't. It's, I can't with this anymore. This it makes me feel better. That's how we ended up where we are. I. Do I understand it? Yes. Can, can I empathize with it? No, not anymore. Because yeah. that's how we ended up in this shithole. People need to do their their homework. I mean, I, I, I now, now more than ever. Um, but ladies, I'm sorry. I okay, yeah, you have to go. Have to go. And we'll finish the rest measures. of these. Yeah. Okay, can you guys finish with that? Yep, yep, yep. Yes. Okay. How do you feel before Bye, you everybody. leave yes. about voting rights being extended to non-citizens? In well, that's a good question because you have a personal um, interest and, and connection in, to non-citizens. Yeah, well, I will say that I think I've shared before one of the issues that I, I would be in the camp of being far left progressive um, is immigration and that there needs to be more pathways for people who are um, doing all the right things in the U.S. for being able to get a green card and then citizenship. Yeah. So. I don't, I don't, I mean, all the arguments against or that they're not going to be able. But we're not talking about demonizing or penalizing these people. We're talking about allowing them to right. vote. And I don't, I don't know what the downside is to that. So I'm, for me, the, the idea is that voting is a privilege of citizens. That's, that is true. And that that is. one of the ways that we incentivize people to become, to go through the hassle. I mean, I know people who have been working here on green card status for decades. That is true. And, and part of how you incentivize them to go through the hassle is then you get to vote. Yeah. Well, and I'm probably biased because I'm talking about the people that there is no path. There is no, in, in my personal situation, I have reached out to everyone possible. There is zero opportunity for her to be able to get a green card or become a citizen. And so for someone like her who is paying taxes because there is a way for, for people that are not documented pay taxes, who is getting her GED, who's getting her driver's license, who's doing, all, you know, who's working. I don't, you know, I don't know that she would think that she should vote. I mean, I think she would probably think that I'm not a citizen of this country and I don't. Yeah. So it, it's more virtue signaling. It's That's just, what I think it more, is. And I, I mean, to me, 
Under Oregon state law, under federal law, you need to be a U.S. citizen to vote. And I don't see the point to make an exception for this for positions like Multnomah County Chair. Yes. Or on the, the shitty initiative that up taxes in Multnomah County. You know, this, like, do we really want people voting on Multnomah who, who are not citizens? I don't... I don't see the compelling argument. I get that, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, equity. Okay. But I, I can't imagine a scenario where I go to some other country, right? live there for a while, and vote. Yeah, and I, mean, I, I would much rather see us uh, prioritizing in terms of the legislature. I realize this is a federal issue, but I would much rather see the energy going towards this huge population of the country who are law-abiding and working hard and doing great things for America to have some opportunity to to get work permits and to get on a path to citizenship. That's, yeah, this is another virtue signaling, kumbaya, feel good about yourself thing. I think they'd say things, though, like citizenships pay, or non-citizens pay taxes. And I think they'd say probably in Portland they pay a fair and this might and be many right. Don't. They pay I, I, a fair amount of taxes that that no, Portlanders don't. No, they don't because we don't have a sales tax. That's where most non-citizens have their grievance of I pay taxes because I pay sales tax. We don't pay non-citizens don't pay sales tax here. The person who registers and is paying work-related taxes in the US is gotta be a very slim minority of person. And I mean, you, you need to go through the loopholes and be a citizen and vote. I just, maybe I am some old throwback dinosaur, but that, that to me, really, does that make me some big conservative? Well, to Steiner Hayward, I think it does. There was a big yeah. uh, lecture about that, if I remember correctly. <laughs> you you were also can't vote if you're people. a felon. Even if you even if you redeem yourself and you know and, and right. go on to do you know great things. And, and I actually do have an issue with that. I don't believe that a, a, an incarcerated felon should be able to vote. But once someone has done their time and paid their debts to society, I have a big issue with not allowing felons to vote because they have done their I mean, thing. there's a good argument that you're disenfranchising a citizen. Yes, and that you want to welcome them back into the fold of citizenship. That's right. And, and it benefits everybody to do so. Encouraging responsible citizens. And you want to make them feel like they are part of the community. 100%. And not that they're this, you know, yes. well, you're a convicted felon, so you can't. Right, like what, that's a that's badge of shame that you're supposed to, to carry yeah. forever? No. Of all the things that you're going to take away, you know, that, yeah. that I, I agree with you. I mean, so I what about amending the Multnomah County Charter to replace gender binary pronouns? With gender <laughs> hard no, hard no, hard no, hard no. I just don't, what is the point? I'm over it. I'm done with it. It's ridiculous. I'm it doesn't with move this the needle. What is it practically going to do to help anybody to do that? It does not move that. the needle. I, Renaming a high school, Ida Bay Wells, did not increase the graduation rate of black kids. That, that we are paying somebody who works right. for someone in the county or the city to spend time on this, yeah. I just, that, I'm sorry, but no, no, This is no. the, well, and a lot of it, too, was like, I'm, we're three successful professional women. The idea that there was not non-binary language previously and it was holding us back in our jobs it's is... So, <laughs> so help so me, God, if anyone, if anyone ever refers to me as a womexen, there, there might be some physical, 
some physical. I'm going to start calling you Wilmette Sims. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> and call, please don't. call Renee Latinx and watch oh, the tinks and watch how he, oh. he reacts. Okay, I love you, ladies. Okay. Thank you for letting me be part Jennifer. of this. Bye, Portland. Have a great day. That's not just a bit. We are. Okay. So on the What's next, Amanda? measures, I voted against all of them, mostly because they seem so stupid, except... There is one that amends the county charter to give the county auditor unrestricted access to information. I voted yes on that one. I voted yes on that one because of there's such a, the Shannon Myron episode that you did showed there's this tremendous lack of transparency with county expenditures and the way that it hands out contracts. So, um, yeah, the, the county gives contracts out like candy. And in fact, I know this isn't sit a city level deal, but let's think about city level. It, a lot of us will remember, we've talked about this on this podcast, and I'll link to the article in the show notes, but where Mingus Maps suggested that we take a look at some of these nonprofits 990s that we're just funneling cash into, and Joanne called him a racist and shut that down immediately and, and just basically um, doubled down on her idea that nonprofit, that we should funnel millions into nonprofits to do this clean energy fund i just think at the county level it's scarier because the chair has so much power that is unchecked and like you said is is in fact a monarchy it is not a oregon governor gubernatorial position where you're checked by legislature and a judiciary you're not checked by anybody and so the idea that they would have this much power and not some sort of outside auditor is very troubling given the Sharon Myron episode on this podcast. So I voted yes on that one. Yeah, that was like the only thing I voted for. And then there were a bunch of, on my ballot, there were a bunch of metro expenditures. And on that, I feel like it's kind of like the high school or junior high student who says, hey, I need $10 to go to the mall and see a movie. And then you find out they spend it on weed or something. I just feel like it's like, um, no, you've breached my trust. you got to figure out a way to live live within your means and your other ill-gotten gain. I'm not giving you any more money. It's just bullshit. I don't give a shit how good it looks. I'm not giving you any more money. Figure out how to live within your means. Well, and Metro is upsetting because it's this third third layer like, of government that really it? doesn't have to exist. No. And and I have never heard of, and, and people from not just across the country, but internationally have contacted me befuddled by the idea of a third level government called Metro, where we incorporate cities that are not part of the city of Portland, where we incorporate counties that are not part of Multnomah County, and then we fund them all. Really, on the mostly, I would say, on the backs of Portlanders. I know, and, and some of those expenditures were for parks, and it's like, I'm not going to pay to spruce up Parks that are full of homeless people. Well, and the other thing is, parks, I mean, if it's a metro measure, that means we're dealing with, like, Beaverton and Clackamas County, who are not dealing with the brunt of the homeless crisis that we are here in Portland, like with Laurelhurst Park. And until you can clean up, for Pete's sake, Laurelhurst Park, the last thing I'm going to do is vote yes on something well, like this. you have a budget. You already have a budget. You don't need more money. You do not need more oh, money. Oh, it's we're not a money already, issue. We're paying we're a wa- heavy the media, as the media says, a wash in cash. Yes. In a toilet of a society. Right, with no big business to speak of. So we should end on a high note. Um, How do we do that? It's, it's tough. <laughs> it's absolutely a challenge. But, um, you know, we, ha- we live in a beautiful place 
It was. It was. With, I think, a bunch of well-intentioned people. And I think that's right. And this shows that, you know, when you don't pay attention to each and every vote, to each and every bubble you fill in, um, your city goes to hell. And this is a reason to vote no on charter reform. Because yeah. you think these are a lot of bubbles, you oh, just there's going to be like 570 to do rank choice voting around, you know, the masses of people who are going to... It's, it's, it's absurd. Let's just take what is manageable right now, cast some good votes, and then keep moving in the right direction. Uh, honestly, and, and this is where, Kristen, I think it is remarkable how as just a concerned citizen, you have had an enormous impact on this community by getting interested and curious and digging deeper into these. It, it's been an absolute eye-opener for me, and you deserve a ton of praise for doing this. And I think what we can do as fellow citizens and voters is to listen to all the information you put out there and make some good decisions. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm begging people to do that because that's that's part of the point. I didn't understand why I was paying so much money and voting for literally every single measure and looking around and I saw, you know, for instance, like with the preschool and the homeless stuff, I saw a lot of homeless and no preschool and that was when I just really started to dig into it and now it's all starting to make sense. So if you have any questions, as always, feel free to reach out to us. I hope we've answered all of your most pressing questions. I think that we have. Um, to the extent we haven't, please give us a shout and let us know. Um, and then tell us how you're voting and why, and we'll be interested to hear about it. You can find us on Twitter at RationalNPDX, and you can DM me. Um, and I promise you that I read all the reviews on iTunes. Amanda, what else do we need to know and um what else do you want to say before we head out of here if in doubt vote no i agree with that if in doubt and vote no and you know what's funny i was sitting with a for dinner i was sitting with a very progressive former social worker who was explaining to somebody who had just moved here from the bay area about how portland politics works and that's what she said she said i just go down the ballot and I vote no on everything because yeah. she said this city can't, this city, I, this it, county, the state can't manage a dime. And in fact, if I think it's a good idea, it's going to be the demise well, of the city I and the state. I learned my lesson when I voted to approve the goddamn legalization of hard drugs. The decriminalization, yeah. Well, that was, yes. And we'll see you all later. Thanks so much for tuning in.